When I look back on 2020, I think about all of the things we did to keep ourselves busy. Some of us started baking bread at home. Some started home gardens. And if you were part of the networking Twitter community, you probably saw a lot of folks chasing some new certifications. Throughout 2020, with isolation and the pandemic in full swing, networking vendors and certification facilitators found ways to serve the community by providing remote exams and free trainings. Whether it was the need to stay busy or trying to learn something new, whatever your reason to pursue a new certification, the question was which one? With 2020 now behind us and our future constantly changing, which certifications will give you the biggest impact for 2021 and beyond? In today's episode, we talk to two prominent networking influencers, Ernest the Cisco Panther and Yasmin Lara, the mom who can fix anything. <laughs> we'll go over topics covering their certification journey, how it's positioned them to continue growth throughout the pandemic, and which certifications give you the best bang for your buck for 2021 and beyond. Stay tuned. I'm very excited to introduce our guests today. They bring a wealth of industry knowledge and diversity on the topic. Uh, I'm going to start things proper and begin with ladies first. So Yasmin, would you please take a minute, tell us a little bit about yourself. And since this is an episode based entirely around certifications, would you tell us what certifications you currently hold? Sure. Uh, thank you, Tony. Um, uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be with you guys uh, today. Um, so my name is Yasmin Lara. Um, I've been in the industry for 25 years, and um, I work for uh, Verizon in Ashburn, Virginia. And I have um, CCNP and uh, CCI, not CCI, no, JNCI. <laughs> I need to repeat that. Um, JNCI, um, Service Provider, Enterprise, Data Center, and Security. Wow, that's quite that's quite a list. <laughs> <laughs> You're that was, you just rattled I off got four, right? Because he's a CCIE, and I was looking at him. And that's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a CCIE. <laughs> four, but four JNCIEs. Yeah. yeah, you're really slacking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Ernest. Ernest, the Cisco Panther, would you please take a moment, introduce yourself, and again, since this is focused on certifications, would you let us know what certifications you have as well? Hey, Tony, thank you for having me here. Uh, my name is Ernest Aboya. Um, I'm known as Cisco Panther across all social media platforms. Um, it's very exciting to be with a CCIE, a JNCIE <laughs> here. And we're just here to talk about certifications, which is a topic that I love so much because that's what I do um, in my spare time. So in terms of certification, I've been able to complete the CCMP, um, the JNCIP, the PCNSE, which I haven't used for anything, but um, it's good that I, I went and I got it. So I know a little bit about network security now. Um, I work for AWS here in Seattle, Washington. Very cool. And just to be clear, we're not going to talk about any of the behind the scenes AWS stuff. I just want to make sure the Cisco <laughs> Panthers clear. Uh, we're going to be talking to strictly about certification. So I don't want to get anybody sure. in trouble. So, um, so I want to start off with our first question. Um, Ernest, I want to give you the first question. Um, and this is one that I think we often debate uh, amongst ourselves in our various you know, networking groups. Um, do certifications still matter? And is their worth increasing or is their worth decreasing? You know, as we move from 2020 to 2021 and beyond, 
Um, what's your take on that, Ernest? Um, for me personally, um, not to sound biased, the truth about the matter is that you can never take value out of certifications. Um, there's nothing nobody can tell me to convince me that um, certifications are going to lose their value. The only thing in there is for you to understand why you're going for a particular certification. And then with that, you have to understand what you intend to gain from the certification that you're pursuing. Um, some people go for the certification because um, it's the thing now. People are talking about it. Um, so I'm going to go get it. But when you come back to the job, you don't have any application of the certification you just got. So people tend to lose um, the satisfaction of why they got the, the certification because they're not using it in their day-to-day -day job. So in terms of value, certifications, I've seen so many people, it, it's taking people even more than um, regular BSc. It's taking people farther than regular school going to college. So um, I know some companies who don't pay for regular schooling, but they pay for any certification or technical training you want to take because they know you can come back and apply to the job right now. So they understand the value of um, the certification. Another topic that's been going on in terms of certification is people saying that CCIE or any expert level certification has no value anymore. I I can, I can no never way. understand why somebody would say something like that. I've heard so many people come to me and tell me, oh, there is no point you pursuing this expert level certification. You just need to learn automation because that's where everything is going. So my answer is usually there is no harm in having a CCIE and still knowing how to automate your network. You don't have to substitute one for the other there is still value in somebody that is an expert in whatever they do. There is value that you bring to the company in every measure. So you can never ever take um, away the value of certification in terms of networking in this field that we are, um, be it cloud certification, networking certification, security certifications, all that stuff gets you, um, into places that you never imagined that you're going to be. Yeah, you know, I I think I, I it, you started off by saying by saying, and I'm just going to summarize it, but it's knowing your why, right? Yeah. Why are you going after this certification? And Definitely. and uh, Jordan and I had a talk about this a couple of weeks ago. I think on our live stream that that is that is so true and your why can change throughout your journey. Uh, and that certainly happened to me. Um, but I know folks who their why, for example, is to simply get a raise at their job or to pivot from one job to another, right? To, to take some experience, uh, yeah. gain a certification here and pivot into another position somewhere else, making more money. Um, and then other people, their why is sort of much more personal and much more internal, where it's really wanting to learn more about the technology, uh, wanting to to take that next step. 
um, knowing that you're going to stay exactly in the company that you are with your coworkers that you're currently around. You just want to sort of enhance what you already have and where you're already going. And I think knowing that why should definitely be sort of the first step that you take on your certification journey, right? It's sort of outlining that because that's sure. also depending on how much of a commitment you have to make. That's also going to help frame that, you know, for your family. You know, like I, I can't imagine what Yasmin has gone through. You know, I know she has two kids grown now, you know, a yeah. husband and she's working all the time because <laughs> yeah. I see her post on Twitter <laughs> and she also has four JNCIEs. You know, I was only able to do one CCIE based on, yeah. you know, what I wanted to commit out of myself, you know, and what I was taking from my family, what they were willing yes. to commit to me. And um, and so sort of knowing your why and sharing that with the people who support you is is so important. But once Definitely. but once you find that out, you know, what's the next step? For me, certifications, for me, certifications have been always a way to open the door for new opportunities. And I think I talked to Tony last time. Uh, um, basically, certifications allow me to find a job move to the U.S. and, again, get new opportunities for moving into a new company. Um, it's not a guarantee. I mean, for a company to hire you, it's not a guarantee that you know the stuff just because you have a certification, but they should open the door. And once you are there, you can demonstrate what you know about the technology. Or that, that has been my experience. And also regarding what you were saying about um, why you would want to go for a certification that exactly happened to me for the GNCIE security. I was super strong with routing and switching, but security, I wasn't too sure how the firewall worked. <laughs> so uh -huh. I remember telling myself, you know what, you're going to go for that GNCIE security because that's going to force you to finally understand how the firewall works and how security is implemented and IPsec and that and all the different things involved. And uh, it was a personal thing for me. Nobody was asking me to get the GNC security. I didn't need it for my job at that point. I was doing MX and PTX all day long. Um, but I wanted to know. I wanted to learn about security because that was my weakest link. And sure enough, I mean, I had to take the test a few times. And uh, every time you take the you test, you it. learn more. And uh, when I finally got it, I looked behind. And it wasn't just uh, certification that made me proud. It was the fact that I could tell for a fact, now I can configure an SRX and know what I'm doing. And, you know, tell yeah. you for sure how this thing is working. So the cert is just like uh, the piece of paper that proves that you did all that work and you yeah. made that effort to learn it and pass the test. So, um, yeah, it was something that made me very happy. It's one of the certifications, the certifications that are, I am more proud of because it took a lot of work and I started from zero. <laughs> so... Yeah, me me personally, I I have a mentor who has been um, trying to get me into security, 
and I've been running the other way the whole time because, um, I mean, security is cool. It's very, very cool. And like I, I just posted on Twitter today um, the type of offer that I get on my email for people who have um, network security certifications um, that have some level of experience. They must be making a whole lot of money, um, the guys that do security. And it makes me want to rethink what my mentor told me. <laughs> security is everywhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you cannot say, yes. I'm not just going to focus on routing. Well, it turns out that even BGP has security issues that we need to think yeah. about. <laughs> Definitely. I want, to, I want to speak to something that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you said, Ernest. Yeah, and you said you said it about specifically about certifications in general, and then you spoke to the expert level certifications. And I'm a bit of a broken record on this, so if you're listening and you've heard me say this, my apologies, but I'm going to say it again. Um, there's there's two things. First off, I think that you know one way to frame the conversation is about knowing why. That that's a that's a fantastic way to look at it. The other way I mm -hmm. look at any type of educational pursuit is there's an ROI attached to it. Right. And so th there's there's you have to internally say, you know, I'm going to invest X and it's going to return Y. And does that make sense for me? Mm -hmm. And the answer is going to be different for different life situations. It's going to be different on where you are in your career. It's going to be different where you're at. So much to a very similar story to Tony. I have a CCIE. And would I do it again if I didn't have one? A hundred percent. It's been incredibly valuable as a certification to me. Do I need another one like Yasmin or four? No. Like I just have not had that same equation for me. Does that mean that it's wrong for her to have pursued four? Absolutely not. Because everyone's in their different spot. Everyone needs to do their own ROI. And this is true for college too. Everything you do from an educational standpoint, you need to evaluate what am I going to put into it? How much time and effort? How much money? How much whatever? How much out of me? How much sacrifice for my family? How much sacrifice of my personal life is this going to cost? And then what's the value back to me? And I'm, am I willing to make that trade? And that's ultimately no one can answer that question for you. Period. End of story. And so anyone who's telling you certifications are worthless, they're telling you something from their own perspective, right? Yeah. To them, the answer absolutely may be that they are worthless, right? And for them, that's great for them. But that shouldn't be the thing that, that bothers me is that people make these very broad brushstroke claims about what things are and aren't without yeah. giving the qualifier that that is what's true for me. Now, to the expert level certifications, I want to challenge anybody to look at who are the people who go out there and claim that expert level certifications are worthless or have lost their value. And I will tell you, 95% of them are people who hold one. And so I think that we are very good at forgetting what something has done for us. We, I mean, I have had this experience. I've shared this before. I finished my CCIE and that was great. I celebrated maybe for a couple of days. And then it was like, okay, what's next? And then it's like, it's like the value that it provided for me, all of that, it, it was immense. And if I go back and I do that inventory, I see that it's immense, but we don't often do that. And so it's very easy on the other side of it, after we've received the reward, whatever the reward was, whether that reward is personal, career, money, whatever it is that we are after, to say, I could have done that without it. <laughs> but we didn't. We did it with it. Right. And yeah. so I find it really, really interesting and very, very curious that it is expert level people. It is people who have established themselves in careers 
going through this process that are the ones who are most predominant and most vocal out there saying that it isn't worth it anymore. And I don't, I don't agree with that. And I don't agree that it's worth it for everybody. Right. Like, and it's not everybody who's, there are some people that I've heard along the way. There's a lot of people who got in the cloud very early on. I remember some, uh, some pretty big claims when, uh, when OpenStack was, was just hitting the market about how, you know, SDN is going to, you know, just remove the need for CCIEs. And that never proved true, right? Like yeah. that's those big market claims. It's a little bit different. But mm-hmm. man, when we get to have this conversation about certifications, experts are the worst people to listen to, as we have a bunch of experts on this call talking about it. <laughs> but generally, you know what I'm saying? Experts are the worst people to listen to. What's that? I'm the, I'm the opposite to that. I mean, I right. don't think I will be here without the certs. I know that for a fact. And, <laughs> and the reality is, the is they're probably I, in the I same spot. I kept my CCMP valid for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I, I just recently lost it because I couldn't pass the test on time. Guess what? I'm studying right now to take it again. Oh, you want it back? I, get it. I want it back. <laughs> Am I going to do yeah. anything with it? No. I mean, no. I'm in Juniper. I'm doing Juniper. Four JNCIEs and you want your, but, want your NP back. <laughs> Because for me, that was super valuable. I mean, that's how my career started. And I can tell you for a fact that I would not be here if I had not had my CCNP and my CCDP and and if I have not been a Cisco certified instructor at the time, I will not be here. Right. So and I, I agree I with you about my certifications that, as well. And I will never say that they lost the value. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it back. I'm telling you. <laughs> you, you heard it's it here. Be, Not first. I, That's I decided here. to leave it on my LinkedIn profile, even though it, it expires a month ago, because I'm getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> we won't yeah. judge you with your four JNCIEs. I'm pretty confident you can make the claim for a little while. <laughs> yeah, so awesome. they, they have a personal value for me. So let me ask let me ask a different question and kind of shift the conversation a bit. So I think that, you know, all of us here, at least on this on this recording, kind of agree that there is a value for certifications. Um mm-hmm. now my question is are the same traditional technologies as important as they've always been, right? So we've talked about these ideas of route switch certifications, and we've talked about the ideas of more traditional sort of data center and security, uh, some of those other things. But there's some new methodologies coming out. There's automation and orchestration and software-defined networking, and cloud is playing a bigger role. So there's two questions here. And the first one I want to start with is, does it still make sense to pursue the certifications that have been around? Or are they actually losing their value and it's worth going after something else? Or do you think there's still value in going after something like a route switch certification? I mean, um, what, what I would say to that is, if, if you're coming in new and you've not been around the block, there is no point jump in the the basics and you know the foundations of networking and trying to do the new stuff when you haven't even done it before so if um you haven't had much of experience in networking it's still very valuable for people to go through those um 
fundamentals and the the search that has been around for so long because um when you look at it the the topics didn't change and the way it's being used in the network are still there most of the places still use it the same way it's been for so long and the the vendors have done a good, great job in you know keeping the certs up to date by removing the things that we don't need from it and making sure the the content stay up to date. So um, in that aspect, I think you have to come from the fundamentals and get in the basic structure of technology before you jump into SDN, DevNet, and all that type of DevOps stuff. And BGP is not going anywhere. <laughs> You might have, yeah, you might have new tools to configure it. Maybe you don't do CLI, but you still need to understand yeah. the protocol and different yeah, attributes. Yeah, BGP is not going anywhere. Oh. V VPNs are not going anywhere. IPsec is still there. You might not see it, but it's running somewhere on the background. This comes back to our abstraction conversations, Tony, right? Yeah. Like that until something's completely abstracted, you have to understand what's happening under the hood. I think the yeah. dream, I think the mm -hmm. dream is to get to the technology to a point where we don't have to know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and I, I think that's a worthy goal and something we absolutely should work towards. But we're a long, long, long yeah. way away from <laughs> that being true. Yeah. Right. We still have all the fundamentals that sit underneath and we have not abstracted them to the point where we don't need to understand them. To your point, IPsec is running. You don't maybe don't need to know it if you're running like a SD WAN solution, mm -hmm. so long yeah. as everything's running the way you expect it to. But the moment that it's not, you need to troubleshoot it. Well, having some <laughs> knowledge about how IPsec works might be pretty good on an SD WAN yeah. solution because it's pretty core component to the solution. Sure. And so yeah, I agree with that that the fundamentals are still there. I do wonder, um, just in my own mind, and I'm not I'm not making a declaration here. I am saying I am pondering this for myself. How much COVID is going to change the way that the network topologies exist in the future. So we saw a very, very rapid migration to remote access. We keep hearing stories about a lot of companies that are out there that are not super interested in bringing employees back to the office in a mass scale. And so things like SD-WAN play a much smaller role when you don't have offices to connect. Now we're talking about users, SaaS applications, cloud access, and maybe a VPN back, but it plays a much smaller role because the data doesn't really live in the office much anymore, right? And so I'm, I'm wondering if the fundamental shift isn't a technology shift, but rather a culture shift in the way that we operate that will change which technologies are relevant. But I'm yeah. not quite sure how that's going to all play out because I feel like a lot of things are... Um, they exist on a pendulum. We'd like to go to one extreme to the other. So we did this rapid remote. I wonder what happens when COVID really does settle. Does it really exist in such a way that like, you know, the office as we know it is dead? Or does everybody push back the other way because they're so tired from COVID <laughs> fatigue? They want to go give their coworker a handshake yep. or a hug or whatever. <laughs> and like all of that. a sudden we're back. To, we're, it, well, I mean, a lot of people are, right? <laughs> and so I don't know if the pendulum swings back the other way in a more massive scale. or I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. But I do think that cultural shifts can change like technical and certification relevance because – a lot of the, I won't say CCIE, but even CCNP or CCNA is about campus networking. Well, if there's not campuses, 
<laughs> you know, the VLANs and STP and all that stuff is not all that relevant if 95% of your workforce is working from home. And then, uh, you know, like that stuff doesn't matter all that much anymore because you have no control over the local access network. It's someone's, you know, Netgear router at home that's doing it and they're not competing with other people for that stuff. And so I think that then the focus transitions to cloud mm-hmm. and, and managing cloud connectivity. How do we get to SaaS? How do we make intelligent applications? How do we support home users and their networks and the, all of the disparate environments? There's a whole new dynamic, but I don't know. It's too early to tell whether we're headed that direction full time or this is a temporary situation. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts, but that's just kind of what's rolling around in my head. That might be the thing that changes it. It's kind of what I'm saying, I guess. Like you see that vendors are releasing new certification tracks. So now Juniper has a track for cloud. They have a track for DevOps. So they are creating these new certifications uh, for the new technologies and they're pushing for those uh, certifications. Um, there's this new certification for MEST, which I'm going for <laughs> after I get my CCP back. Um, so the vendors are recognizing that and they're creating all these new um, training programs and new ways of taking the exams and new certifications focus on those technologies. Yeah, um, me personally, I'm thinking towards that direction. Um, I did the enterprise track for Juniper to the professional level just because I work in an enterprise team right now. But after I finished, I got to the JNCIP. I'm doing the service provider track now because I think it makes more sense um, the way things are going, being that, um, like you said, we might not be needing enterprise um, knowledge so much in the future, depending on where the culture takes us and depending on where the world takes us. So for me personally, um, my ultimate goal is to get a JNCIE in service provider. So service providers aren't going anywhere. Yeah, the internet, yeah. it's that's, sticking around. I think, that, I think it's here to stay. That's why that's, that's the whole idea of me. Like, okay, I got to the professional level. I was going to start the JNCIE um, enterprise, but I started the JNCIS service provider and I want to take it all the way. Cause um, that's where things are going. You can never um, take the internet away from the equation. Yeah. Um, Jordan, I think, that's a very interesting point and one you haven't shared, um, at least with me, as with all of our interactions <laughs> between the podcast and other shows. But um, I think you're right. I think the culture shift, uh, whenever COVID dies down, I predict, and this is just my opinion, I predict that people will appreciate the flexibility in their companies. People will go into the office because of that face-to-face human interaction, but they'll also sort of take the best of both worlds and still work from home as much as they can um, to get their job done and still be efficient. And so what I think that will do is I think the vendors will see this as a new network architecture, a new type of topology. Uh, like you were saying, Jordan, typically in the CCNA and CCMP tracks, you know, you're you're trained on the the access distribution and core layers, right? This is your model. Mm-hmm. But but when we start introducing like, hey, half of your workforce is coming in, you know, remote access VPN, you got like a few people connected to access switches and all of your applications are in the cloud. It really starts to dictate a, a change in topology that they need to um, 
I think they need to address that in the certifications, right? It's no longer going to be that that access distribution core. I mean, even at the CCNA level, they're going to have to, you know, I'm going to put my tier one guys, you know, my CCNAs, you know, before they're before they get those three, four, five years experience in the seat, I need to have them doing trouble tickets on remote access VPNs on why can't this user get to um, our applications in the cloud and and how to figure that out, um, even at a basic level. So I think you're right. I think the culture shift will change the network architecture. And I hope that the vendors respond to that by sort of changing changing the models that we currently work with it's going to change everything and, and 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 so when i say that regardless of how the model unless the model goes back to exactly the way that we were which i really don't think i think i think tony you're probably yeah, closer to reality uh in, in that it's going to be somewhere in the middle um but the, the problem then is i mean think about how we've treat, treated remote access up until this point you have the the full-fledged architecture is what's in the office and then you work with your remote access users and do the best that you can to secure what they're doing. Um, when when all of a sudden we see this shift to the fact that the majority may actually be outside of the office and our apps might live anywhere, right? This is what I talk about all day, every day at my job because I spend a lot of time talking about cloud networking and, and next generation networking. But like, the, and the reason why I'm thinking about this, right? But the um, as you shift all of a sudden it becomes way more critical to make sure that your user experience is exactly the same. And this is a bit off topic, but while we're talking about it, we might as well sit here for a moment and say that we can no longer treat the remote access VPN as like a second class citizen, because all of a sudden it might be the first class citizen, right? And we got to have all those things. And so things like zero trust, which we've talked about on the show, all of a sudden become a much more acceptable model where we treat our internal network like it's the internet. Like we don't give it any special privilege whatsoever. Well, in that case, I'm not worried about what my segmentation policies are because I'm doing all of this in software. And so like things like software defined access, maybe a product that's dead before we've seen a full lifetime. If this is the, the, the path that we still go and I'm not calling that, I'm not saying it's a bad product, but what I am saying is if we don't have an office, if we don't have a campus to protect, Having campus SDN doesn't make a whole lot of sense where we need to make sure that 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 policy is applied equally. And so I think that that's probably and the reason why I brought it up is back, you know, trying to bring it full circle and come back is that we're we're in a time of change, but it's not technology that's driving the change. And so I still think the fundamentals matter back to to to, to the earlier oh, point. Yeah. You still need to understand TCP IP, you need to understand how routing and switching works and what the differentiations are. And as was said before, things like BGP not going anywhere, internet, real deal, sticking mm -hmm. around, not going to go away anytime yeah. soon. Interfacing with that's important. I do think that we see a consolidation of engineering, though. I think we're yeah. going to see engineering happening in the service providers, and we're going to see it happening in the web scalers, and we're going to see it in the software as a service companies. There's going to be plenty of opportunity but the opportunity is going to shift. I don't think we see as much engineering in the enterprise. And because of that, you have to think about what does that mean for technologies? What does that mean for your career going forward? If you want to invest right now, do you want to bet on enterprise networking? I don't know, <laughs> right? So maybe CCNA, CCNP, because you get the fundamental skills, but then shift towards something else. And I think that that's where I want to go with this conversation next. Yeah. Looking into the crystal ball and saying, hey, where are we going and what does this look like, not only for this year, but for next year and the year after? If you guys are going after certification, Ernest, you've already kind of shared. Like you're saying, service provider, that seems relevant to me. Yeah. 
Yes. Yasmin's going backwards, but it's more <laughs> sentimental than anything else for her CCNP. <laughs> but she, then you also talked about Mist, and Mist isn't more of an enterprise play. So I'm yeah. kind of curious, like what your take yeah. is on that. I mean, some of it's just learning it. I know you're you're deeply involved with Juniper, so going that direction might just be something that's just the next thing on the list. But what about cloud certifications? What about cloud overlay networking? What about some of these other things that sit out there? that are really kind of be the the heart and soul of what networking is in, in two, three, five years down the line. What do you guys think? Yeah. You're going to kill me. I'm going for the GNCIE club. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I was going to say. Um, I think right now with the way things are, I think um, the cloud certifications needs to come up in the priority list. Um, like, they contribute to so much of what we do in terms of um, technology right now. Um, so many companies are moving their workloads to the cloud. Some people are looking to turn, turn off their data centers. So when when I, I look at job boards online, um, you can pick out a network engineering job. Um, 90% want some sort of cloud um, knowledge from you. Um, even if you have the CCIE or whatever certification you're coming with, they want you to know a little bit of cloud. And sometimes they ask for the three, the three big ones. And sometimes they ask for one or they ask for two. But it all boils down to you understanding that um, cloud technology is here to stay. And not to confuse it with people thinking that, oh, if I move to the cloud, I never have to see the networking again, which is a lie. Because <laughs> then, then I, I was talking to somebody this morning, um, they're trying to get into cloud. And I, I was telling the person, I have to teach you networking if you're going to get into cloud. She asked me, why do I have to learn networking if I'm doing cloud? <laughs> I told her, okay, if you get in the cloud, you're going to build a VPC. A VPC is going to have a subnet and you're going to have to assign IP addresses to some, some things. And if yeah. you don't understand networking, how are you going to um, survive in the cloud? You're not going to be successful. So um, everything kind of comes together. There is no um, way to look at it. Like you can't just go, oh, I'm just going to do cloud and forget this, or I'm just going to do security and forget networking. But I think networking is at the core of everything. That's so why I love I, it. Your controller speaks BGP. <laughs> right. <laughs> Contrail speaks BGP and SMPP to talk to the yeah. other devices. So, yeah, just still advertise routes. Well, I think, Taryn's point, like, uh, this, is, this is a myth of the cloud providers, right? So, and they give us these absolutely immensely valuable environments. But to them, their goal, if you're AWS, if you are um, if you are uh, GCP, if you're Azure, if you're whoever, right, their goal is to get companies using instances with as little friction as possible. And friction in this case is networking. Um, and friction can be security. So depending on how you implement, right? So these are the things that tend to hold up projects in enterprise environments, and they want to provide as little friction as possible. So they provide you networking, but it is the base level networking, and they want you to believe that networking is is just a couple clicks and you're done. And it can be, so long as you don't want security, and so long as you know, like you have an infinite number of IP addresses, and you don't actually want to connect any of your cloud segments together. And, you know, like there's all of these like caveats that yeah. don't get sold in that message or don't get taught. So I will yeah. say this, and just to be absolutely, you know, 
this is my opinion. Cloud networking is just as hard as regular networking, but for different ways because the constraints are different and the tools you have are different and what's available is different. And if you're going to multi-cloud networking, it is harder than what you're doing today. Period. End of story. Multi-cloud networking is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly complex. They all do it differently. And so you're having to learn multiple different environments, stitch things together um, in a way that's incredibly difficult. And, and you have to be a really good networker to do that with the native constructs. You have to be really good at what you do. And so this is where those fundamentals come back to play. You yep. have to know them. You have to understand the consequences. What does latency do to this traffic? Like, what is it, you know, what is my actual connectivity? How can I actually drive this path to make sure it's going across the links I want it to go across? Because guess what? If you aren't paying attention, it's going across the internet. That may be okay. Maybe it's not. You have to know what, what the implications are for that. And I think that um, this is this is marketing getting in the way of actual engineering. So if you're an engineer who is listening to this and and your company believes that somehow cloud networking is going to be easier than what you're doing today, it's absolute garbage. Yeah, it's absolute garbage. Networking in the cloud is just as difficult. It's just different. That's the only difference. That's true. Um, it, you see the server, server one is not talking to server two, and it turns out that it's because ARP is not going through. Or, or you know, like you go to troubleshoot that, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, I have no intermediary devices that I can run a ping from, or that I can run a trace from, or that I can yeah. and I have no control of my gateways because they're all in these cloud-native formats. And yeah. they're not things that I run, so I have no visibility into where my traffic's actually going. And, oh, by the way, there are very, very prescriptive ways about how we connect VPCs to transit VPCs and how we get from one VPC to another or VNet to another. Like, there's very prescriptive models that I can't control what that looks like. I can't create a full mesh VPC to VPC. It's a hub-and-spoke design, whether you want it or not. What right? You <laughs> want it. Yeah. The way that it is. Unless you have a very small environment where I can create a full mesh appearings, but that's not the typical enterprise environment. And so like, there's all of these things you have to learn. And then when you learn them, you go, oh, wait a minute, there's just as many considerations here as there is in my other network, but it's just, I've got a lot less visibility, a lot less tools, a lot less whatever, because the cloud yeah. networks have not invested into the networking tool set like they have into the systems and applications tool sets. And, and that's just because that's where their money is. Their money's not in building you a network. The money is in building you instances that run your applications and getting them connected to the internet as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, and under the hood, you still have all the basics. You still have the protocols. You still have IP. Well, yeah. You still have ARP. You still have MAC addresses. Yeah, all I, those things. I, 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 I want to jump in. I think uh, Jordan, you had asked Ernest uh, a few moments ago to peer into the crystal ball, and um, and I I want to I want to take that opportunity, and I want to peer into the crystal ball and what I see um, sort of trending. Um, we concerning certifications, they're sort of treated, we call them different tracks, right? The data center track, the wireless track, the enterprise track, the security track. Um, these are different domains of knowledge. Um, but when you apply these domains of knowledge to enterprises or government, they call them silos. <laughs> okay. And that's because the different teams need to have the different domains of knowledge, right? The people who run your, your dark fiber, your infrastructure, you know, that is actually running uh, um, across the country or across your, your geography needs to have that service provider mindset for the people that are running your campuses 
uh, need to have that sort of enter what we call the enterprise infrastructure now. Uh, but the, typically the route switch discipline. Um, typically, there's wireless involved with that and a little bit of security. Then there's your security team, right? And they get to do the firewalls and the proxy and, and this and that and the other tools, right? And they there were typically these different silos. And we, we've heard this saying ever since I've been in the business um, that s- security is not can't be a separate thing anymore, right? You can't bolt on security. Security has to be baked in or it has to be part of the process. And you think about that, there's security in wireless. There's security in switching. There's security in routing, right? There's security at the service provider. Everywhere has security with it. And so what I think when I actually look in the crystal ball and I take a look at the the real future of certifications is that we're not going to have different tracks like this. There's going to be maybe maybe there will be different tracks, but there will be fewer. That security track, I think that might go away and you're not going to have a silo of people at your organization that are focused on security. Instead, it's going to be all of the departments have that security component, right? And and every single certification track is going to have a security piece that's applicable to that knowledge domain. I think that's what we're going to start seeing. And, and, And even with the DevOps stuff, too. I see the DevOps stuff being applicable to all of these domains in different ways. So I think we're going to start seeing collapsing of different knowledge domains of what we would typically call certification tracks. And it's just going to become a blended model of fewer options. And I actually, I really hope that it goes that way because I would see that as serving the customer far better. I I, I see one of the biggest problems in organizations that I've supported over the years is not a failure of the technology or the funding, but it's the the operation of the silos of people, right? It's how the organization gets their people to communicate between the different teams, between the different domains. So if we start melting that together, you know, where the security people have the routing information, they have the DevOps and the enterprise people have the security and they have the DevOps and they have the routing and the switching and the wireless and they have these components all together, then we're really just making much more better, well-rounded engineers at the end of the day. Less focused, you know, but less focused on one track, but specifically trained, you know, to treat the different parts of the networks. And I, I, I want to provide that some, some counterpoint here. Cause I, I don't know that I fully agree with you. Um, I, I think that it's completely a possible outcome. I don't think that you're like, like way off the mark, but here, here's what it comes down to. Those silos have existed for a reason. And that is because mm-hmm. these are really complicated technical spaces. Yes. Each I'm one, with you on that. each one exists within its own domain because of the fact that it is a, a, full engineering body of knowledge to do that and to do that well. So there's a couple of paths from here. The first is we get the abstraction thing right. That's what we talked about earlier. If we abstract enough of the technology away where you don't have to have the body of knowledge about all the different knobs and levers and buttons and all those things, then we can look at a system more holistically and and people play more the role of analyst and policymaker rather than technologist. Um, and, and in a system like that, we can get there. But like I said earlier, I think we're a long ways away from that being reality. And so with that, <clears throat> security is something that gets applied in each discipline, but is its own skill set. 
There's no way that you're going to be able to create a cohesive security policy. When you think about what is the best way to secure your organization, and it is, well, it's in depth, right? The idea is that we have edge protections, we have client protections, we have network protections, we have protections in a lot of different places. And the mature organizations, what they've done is they've allowed the technologists to implement the technology and allow the security team to implement the policy. And so I think you're going to see secure solutions that allow the bifurcation of security as a responsibility. It's not the security team that's going to own the firewalls. The network team owns the firewalls, but they own it to the point of where we get it to the point where we can implement policy. And then the security team is worried about how do we implement the policy on these devices because we have this lever here that we can pull. Like, and then you have the you have the cloud networking team who builds whatever your cloud networking solutions are with wherever your checkpoints are for implementing policy. Right. And they could implement that if they implement it independently, they're going to have no idea what's happening on the firewalls on prem. Like there's it's not a coordinated effort. You still need somebody who's the overarching policy master, which is going to be what I think your security group is. And that each of the technology disciplines are going to have to implement security components within their systems. But if we leave up to each individual discipline to configure their security posture, I think that we'll find that those postures will be disjointed because each one will configure security within the context of the way that they understand it in their in their silo of discipline. And so I think that it's somewhere in between, right? It's not it, – when we talk about automation, we have the same question, right? Do programmers or do, does, does someone who's an infrastructure engineer today need to become a programmer? And the answer is not fully, at least I think that's my opinion, not fully. The, the right answer in this is to have programmers who really understand programming, who can speak a bit of networking, and networkers who can speak a bit of programming, and then you combine those two people. And you say, as a networker, this is what I needed to do. And with my limited understanding of programming vocabulary, let me tell you what I think is probably the way to get there in a, in a programming you know knowledge set. And then the programmer can come in and say, well, what if I did it this way, <laughs> right, to, to meet your needs? And this is the reason why I think is meeting your needs because I'm using my limited amount of network or systems knowledge set to communicate that back to you. It's pairing up of those two skill sets. And I think that that is true in security as well. The only way that you're going to get a comprehensive approach is if you have infrastructure people who understand their discipline very, very well, but can speak security. So security has to be part exactly. of each, cer- mm-hmm. each certification domain, but they are not the overall uh, arbiter of what security is on the on the whole approach for an enterprise, they know just enough to be able to integrate with the security team and provide them the tools they need to implement a policy within their domain, and that the two can work together so that the security policy doesn't like absolutely debilitate the network, right? Because we've seen that too when security steps in as an outside entity to say, we're going to lock it down like this. And all the networkers go, you're going to do what? <laughs> like, Do you want your clients to talk? Disabling yeah. ARP may not be the best answer, right? Like, yeah. you know, like those yeah, types of things. And, and Jordan, that, that's that's kind of where I was coming from. So I want to make sure my message wasn't okay. uh, uh, delivered incorrectly. <laughs> um, absolutely. There needs to be some sort of cohesive policy um, that's agreed upon by your organization and is applied um, to everywhere that it, that it needs to be, that it needs to live. But I feel like the best people to implement those security are the people who are already operating that domain of the network. And where I've seen it a lot of times is what you just ended on is when the security people come in and they say, OK, now we have to do this. I have this policy. It's written right here. And it says I have to do X, Y and Z. You know, like, uh, not unless you want a bad day at work, you don't, you know, let's talk about this. You know, there are better ways to implement this. And and that's when they're stepping in and they're trying to enforce something 
on an area that they don't really understand. And that's what I mean. It's it would be better handled by those people within their domain that that understand it. Now, I think that policy should be interpreted. How does this apply to my users where I see them, how I handle their traffic? Right. And 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 make that best decision. And there should be an entire feedback loop around this. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think having the well-rounded engineers and operators is absolutely the best approach. Um, I used to teach a, a class. I used to teach two classes. One was a cybersecurity class. One was a networking class. And one time I was teaching the cybersecurity class and they were just like, they were confused about some of the topics I was covering. They were like, but we don't understand how the network works. And I was like, okay, do you guys want, you, do you want me to take the time to explain how the network works? They said, yes, would you please? So actually, I started teaching them what I normally teach on day one of the networking class. And every single one of those security people were like, this is what we needed. We needed this. Nowhere do we able, or can we get this knowledge. It's not documented. We don't know where to find it. We don't know how the network works. But we get handed policies, and we have to implement them, and we don't even know where the traffic is coming or going. And so that's why I say that, you know, if we sort of combined this training in our people in a certification – where they're getting sort of the best security training for that domain, along with their route switch, along with their access, you know, whatever, whatever domain they're in, we're going to really have the best well-rounded approach to it. And, and, and I'm not saying we're getting rid of our security uh, uh, a department, um, you know, that people are going rogue and implementing their own policies. Uh, but definitely, I've been in too many organizations where those policies are handed down and sort of enforced by the security team that comes in. And that's where I see it break down. And so I'm hoping that that certifications will will start to meld those those things, because like I said, security is in everything. So why are we treating it like it's a separate thing? Um, you know, especially in my world. And, and again, I'm only speaking on my opinion based on the world that I see and the world that I'm in, right? So I came, up through, I came up through routing and switching, right? Core networking components. And the whole time I was focused on how does the network apply to security? The whole time I was dealing with security products and security topologies. And that's why I kind of see that because I kind of play in both worlds. That's why I'm like, we, we have to get these, these two silos to work together better. And I think the only way to do that is sort of at the certification level to get them right through training that way. Otherwise, they hit that fork in the road and they either go on that networking track or they go on that security track and they never circle back and, and, and that road never meets again. And, and that's where I see the uh, sort of a, a broken system, if you will. Yeah, for- You see that in routing. I mean, if you kind of turn it around in, let's say, enterprise service provider and the security tracks, you configure BGP or OSPF or- whatever routing protocol. Yeah. So you need routing Everywhere. even if you're taking the security track exams. Yeah. Because the firewalls need to communicate with each other. So if you turn it around, then why not put security on everything? So, I mean, this is not a new concept. These are, these are called T-shaped skills, deep. right? So the idea is you have skills all the way across the horizontal. And those skills aren't super deep. And then you're going to have the place where your skills go deep. And that's the vertical exactly. of the T. So yeah, T-shaped skills is, and I, I really think that, you know, this has been true for a long time. And I think it is going forward. You're going to, you know, for you to be able to advance and have a high level, you know, engineering career inside of technology, you're going to have to be deep in something. 
And we've talked about what some of those things are. And we're going to come back to that in a second, like what we all think those things are kind of like as a, as kind of a rapid fire list, but you need to be deep in something, but you cannot ignore the other silos, but that's always been true. The best engineers are the ones who have some experience across the board, but have focused in on one piece of technology. I know that I am super grateful for my time that I've spent as a generalist because when I decided to focus in on networking, I had systems experience. I had virtualization experience. I had security experience. I had, I had end user desktop experience. I had all of this other context for the way that all of these other silos interacted with my silo. So I could go to the server team, have a conversation with them, speak their language, let them know why I was having a challenge and what we could do to, to possibly work that out and, and work on it together. And then it served me well. But I didn't start in a big enterprise. I think a lot of people start there sometimes. Like if you, if you come out of school with some sort of specialist, like if you go straight to AWS, you're not going to have a prompt <laughs> level of skills. You're going to be pigeonholed into a particular thing yeah. that you do, right? If you And Verizon, you ask me, you work at Verizon. Verizon, I know I've done a lot of work with Verizon's engineering teams over the years. There are departments, and those departments only touch the things that they're responsible for. Yeah. Right? Like, and uh, I think, yeah. The advantage is that I don't, I am not an employee of Verizon. <laughs> Verizon right. is my customer, so I get to work in different projects and <laughs> sure. interact with different people. <laughs> sure, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you working with Verizon, I'm sure you've experienced that to uh, an yeah. absolute level yeah. of frustration to the point where they won't work across silos, right? And so... <laughs> And so, like, I think that it, those skills are going to be critical regardless of where you work, is those T-shaped skills. You're, you're going to need to be broad and whatever. So what I want to do, I, I do want to wrap it up here, but I think that what would be a lot of fun is to kind of go around. You know, we've we've talked a lot about culture changes, technology changes, I, and, and I think all the conversation has been great. But at the end of the day, if someone's looking for, like, the areas that they might want to focus in, I'm kind of curious what each person's take is. And so I'm going to say list three or four things that you would focus on if you were, you know, going into this next this next year, these next two years, these next three years, you know, coming from the context of someone who's just getting in, someone who's just starting to think about it, right? And all starts, you guys have a second to think about it because <laughs> I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot with a very specific question you probably weren't planning for, right? So my very first thing is, is you know, pick your, your, your deep T-shaped skill and learn the fundamentals there. Um, learn the fundamentals. And and so if that's networking, because obviously we're focused on networking, a lot of people here will be looking about networking. That's it. But if you want to get involved with cloud, figure out cloud fundamentals. If you want to be doing security, figure out what security fundamentals are. Do that and, and, and invest in figuring out what your core skill set is going to be. But from there, moving forward with the things that are going on, I think from this conversation, it's pretty clear that you're going to need to understand cloud. You're going to need to understand security. And to some level service provider. So when I say service provider, how to interact with the internet, if you're going to be at least on the networking side of things. So um, Ernest, Yasmin, I don't, you know, whoever, whoever wants to go first, I'll call you both out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what, what do you guys think? If you were to pick a list of three or four things, what are the, what are the, what are the things you think people should focus on? Yeah. Um, for me on top of the list is learn AWS. Cause um well, because they write your paycheck. So that's, yeah. there's that too. <laughs> Good plug there. <laughs> Learn AWS because, you know, um, they have such huge um, customer base and so many companies are using it right now. So you can't really um, stay away from AWS because um, they're everywhere you go kind of right now. 
And then you can never, one thing that I always tell people after, you know, cloud, you have security, security is at the, the top of everything. Um, I don't think any company can survive without security. Um, so, but the main thing is you can't leave the networking piece out. People mm-hmm. ch- try to leave the networking piece out and that's where I have a problem. And I keep saying that you can't go and go start your cybersecurity career without knowing anything about networking. You mm-hmm. should at least know a little bit. So for what Tony was saying, now that the vendors at, have not yet matched these things together, if you get a routing and switching certification, it's okay to go and get a security certification as well so that you can have the best of both worlds and understand what they're doing. So for me, cloud is on top of the list, security, and then networking. You need to start with networking. <laughs> doesn't matter this is, this is why security, I'm asking. data center, cloud. <laughs> It doesn't matter where you're going. <laughs> you better know how to configure an IP address, how your computer figures out where the IP, I mean, the, the IP address of the destination. So you need to know about DNS and ARP and those kind of things. I mean, it's incredible the amount of times that I'm troubleshooting something and it comes all the way down to there's a duplicate IP address configured. And people is like, oh, wow, how did that happen? Or how did you figure that out? Well, because you understand, I don't know, how OSPF works between two routers. Um, so you need to know those those basic things. Yeah. I mean, IP addressing, I have had to explain ARP to people before we jumped into how BGP works. <laughs> mm. Because they just jumped straight into something without taking the time to understand the basics. And then when the basics break, they, mm-hmm. oh, oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah. So you have to start with that. So, Learn so, subnetting a little bit. Shock, <laughs> shocking that the four-time JNCIE is the one who says networking is a fundamental. You need to learn it. <laughs> the other day we were having an issue of some routes were not being propagated. And it was because when they apply the IP addresses, they were not on the binary boundary. So the aggregated route was not um, covering the entire range of addresses. The entire range, yeah. Um, Just did the binary real quick. Oh, here it is. This is why it's not being propagated. It doesn't match the policy because it's not in the boundary, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it was a matter of just moving the subnet mask two bits and boom, the routes are now propagated. So, so Yasmin's the killjoy who says you have to learn binary math. Yeah. <laughs> you I can learn. show you. Yes, it's part of, it's part of the, the requirement. I 100% agree. Last week to figure out why we were not seeing the routes and sure enough, it was not in the right yeah. subnet mask. 100% correct. 100%. So Tony, how about you, man? What would you, what would your list look like? Um, I think, Networking fundamentals, right? Um, I think I think all four of us said that, right? It all boils down to fundamentals. Uh, that's my top thing. Uh, start with your networking fundamentals. I think for me, if I was giving people advice starting from right now, and they they hadn't they hadn't started their journey yet, I would say get your networking fundamentals any way you can, whether that's Network Plus, whether that's CCNA, whether that's JNCIA, any way you can. 
I would say after that, I would tell them to pursue some sort of uh, DevOps, uh, some sort of scripting, uh, Python, Ansible. Learn how to interact with the devices because that is forever growing on a graph. It's getting popular. It's hockey sticking its way up. Um, that is that is a you put that on your resume, right? That uh, I have a CCNA or JNCIE, what whatever certification. Oh, and um, I write Python. It's it's a piece of cake. I can code too. You know, I can code too. That, that's a big jump. That's yeah, I need jump. to add that to my. Yeah, I, and, and my, that's my, fair. My, I should have put automation on mine for sure. You're right, my, Tony. My, that needs to be on the list. My my third would probably be uh, security. Again, my stance is that I feel like every discipline in every domain needs security and DevOps automation, every single one. So get your networking fundamentals, do the DevOps, do security to whatever depth that you need or you're comfortable with, Okay. You don't have to be the security expert, but learn how the firewall works, learn what it's matching on, learn the other uh, security components in a network or on a system on an endpoint, right? Just at least learn about them. And I would say lastly, Jordan, something that we talk, talk about all the time is I would take you back to the real fundamentals, all right? Let's talk about TCP IP. Let's get oh, yeah. some real time actually breaking that down because in these courses, they're just going to skim the surface of it. They're going to talk about the three-way handshake. They're going to talk about UDP. They're talking about ICMP, and they're done. <laughs> but I would say if you really want to know the depth, circle back around and do that deep dive on TCP IP. And I tell you what, if anyone ever wanted to blow someone away, wanted to impress someone in a job interview, sit down at there, okay, and, and what do you, t- tell us what, what you know about TCP IP. If you can just keep talking about it with authority because you know it, because you studied it, because you did the deep dive, you're going to blow everyone in the room away because the rest of those people are only going to know the three-way handshake, UDP, <laughs> ICMP, you know, <laughs> echo request, echo reply. They're going to know basics, basic stuff. No one ever does that. But yeah, that's sort of like defining your own niche. So, so, so that's my stack. That's my stack. Networking fundamentals, security, DevOps, and then circle back around and do TCP IP. Uh, to let your to your heart desires. No, no, the pseudo Heather. <laughs> all right, all right. I think with that, this is a, a great place to to wrap it up. Before uh, I do, you know, my outro and give our spiel for all of our stuff, I want to give you guys an opportunity to share where people might find you. So, Ernest, how about we start with you? Where are you online? You mentioned Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Cisco Panther. Cisco, Cisco Panther underscore Panther. Okay, okay. you said. Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere on social media is the same. Yeah, so that's, YouTube, that's how you find you. Everywhere, that's how you find me. Okay. Are you doing yeah. anything else you want to plug? Do you have a blog? Do you do any, um, anything I just, else? I just started a YouTube channel, um, but awesome. AWS hasn't given me the chance to do what I want to really do with the channel. <laughs> ah, so, so soon to come, as soon as, as soon as you're able to clear it yeah. all with legal. Yeah, I was actually um, able to put out some content, but I haven't been able to sit down to do any other thing since then. So, but okay. that's that's in the work. It's definitely going to come. All right. Sounds good. How about mm-hmm. you, Yasmin? I'm on Twitter. You're on it's Twitter. Y-L- oh, hi. oh, my gosh. Y-L-M-A-V-A-1. <laughs> We we might need to put a link on our. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Cisco underscore Panther, which is super easy to remember. Y L M V A and the number one. Okay. <laughs> That's where people can find you. 
That's Jasmine, Lara, Mora, Virginia. What? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> if you're interested, no, not true, not true. <laughs> yeah, and I have my blog. It's momcanfixanything.com. That is a great yeah. blog. Yeah, it is, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you will you will go to that blog and you will you will drown in in the depth of Juniper knowledge she drops on you. It's <laughs> that's where the, that's where the I pool is now. deep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm also, um, um, I mean, I, I answer questions on our forum, the Juniper Forum. Juniper Forums. All right. Yeah. So you can find you there. Yeah. Excellent. Juniper questions. Uh, yeah. I try to ask, especially routing questions. <laughs> Only routing, because that's all that matters. No, especially <laughs> routing. Especially routing. <laughs> and if it's BGP, even better. BGP, even better. All right. <laughs> I, I love BGP. So Tony, I haven't given you a chance recently. Where are you at? Where can people uh, find you? Man, I'm here at the Network Collective. Get That's with right. it, Jordan. Right. <laughs> you can catch me on the Network Collective uh, Slack. Uh, I'm at Show IP Interface Brief on um, any social media that will allow me, and uh, occasionally I drop a blog post or two. You say this every time, but you're not show IP interface brief. Because if someone you, went to Twitter and typed in show IP interface brief, find typed you. out every word that you just said, that would not be. In fact, it's too long for Twitter. It's too many characters. You are the Cisco CLI shorthand for show IP interface brief. Brief. And yeah. you're not figuring out which shortened version of each one of those commands is what Tony has used to create his username. It's That's all the network engineers that can find you. Yeah, the it's, a, it's the phonetic yeah. of uh, show wimp it bra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And occasionally I let a blog slip out on showipinterfacebrief.github.io, a fun little site I've had had fun putting some stuff out on. So more That's to come cool. there always. Yep. Every once in a while it slips out, it sounds like an accident. <laughs> yeah, it is sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, you can find all of our past episodes on networkcollective.com. Uh, if you want new episodes pushed right to you, you can subscribe to the podcast pretty much anywhere where podcasts are found. So Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all the regular places. Um, so we are also have gone in with both feet into the live streaming world. You can watch the Network Collective live stream at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, we created a special URL to get us right to the page. It's networkcollective.stream. Um, or you can go to YouTube and subscribe and click the notification bell and it will let you know every time that we're live streaming, which again is Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Most of the time. We don't want to commit to every week. That's a little daunting to say 52 streams a year. Uh, but so far, we're 100% for the year. So we'll be there. Uh, so let's see. Uh, we're also taking the best parts of those streams and we're going to be um, posting them as shorter clips on the channel. So again, you definitely want to subscribe because uh, if you miss a stream, you can still catch the good content. Uh, social media. We've been talking about social media. You can find us at Net Collective PC on Twitter. You can search for Network Collective on both Facebook and LinkedIn. And finally, if you uh, listen to the show regularly and you appreciate what we do, uh, would you please consider becoming a supporter of the show? So direct support from our listeners allows us to continue producing great content while keeping advertising to a minimum. We don't ask for a lot. Five bucks a month, no commitments at all. And if you pay for a year up front, it's even less. So supporters not only help keep the show going, they also get some nice perks like access to the Slack that Tony mentioned previously. Uh, we're all on there. Uh, you get a private feed to the show that has all of our advertisements removed. 
and you get our merch at no cost or not at no cost at no at our cost <laughs> i promise you free merch that's uh definitely not the case <laughs> so you get the merch at our cost um so that's it so i think that that's uh where we're gonna where we're gonna end it today thank you so much for yasmin Ernest, for joining us uh for today's recording uh for all who are listening thanks so much for uh for listening to the episode and uh we will see everyone next time